Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you. Put things like today into some context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Oh, I had a real busy day today. I spent all day hunting the bears. Yeah, the ones who scared so many people out of the market so, all so, so. week. You know, the bears who said the Federal Reserve were too hawkish, or, so you had to run. The oh-so-loud shorts presented themselves as elder statesmen, pronouncing that this market was far more dangerous than you think. And you were being complacent if you owned anything at all. And then I realized those bears only come out on bad days. That's why I couldn't find them. The days when they get to look like geniuses. See, they go into hibernation on days like today, where the Dow gained 331 points, the S&P surged 1.89%, then Nasdaq soared 2.66%. What's the real reality here? Simple. We've been in this real nice bull market, X-Tech, ever since the dollar peaked, along with bond yields last fall. But this whole move has been hidden by the smokescreen of mega cap techs, which, well, well, was awful last couple of weeks. Today was a nice day, though. Today, yep, instead of throwing tech under the bus like the bears want, we actually saw new companies, new life in companies that reported tremendous quarters. I'm talking about things like, like Netflix. More on that later. Or announced big headcount count reductions. I mean, monster ones. Like Alphabet. I guess it was a feel-good session. So as we go into next week, I hope you'd stay open-minded. Don't let yourself be scared out of your wits by all those traders who love the whip sauce with their relentless negativity. The house of pain. Believe me, they are the ones who got today. Every t- I don't feel bad for it. It's kind of like a mess thing, you know? Every time we get a couple down days, they come out of the woodwork and act like the world's ending, scaring you. As I told you on this show most of the week, do not listen to these Cassandras. Sorry about that 
uh, Philadelphia action, but there is a big game Saturday. Now, take Monday. When we hear from Adobe, a stock that's plunged from $550 last year to $356 today. I think the stock is as despised now as it was loved back in the old days. But Adobe, of course, now it's much lower. But Adobe presents on a sell-side investor meeting on Monday. And if they could talk about disciplined growth going forward, because it made an acquisition a lot of people weren't too crazy about, I think it can make up a lot of lost ground. It, I have to tell you, if it doesn't, then here's what's going to happen. You know where you're going to be? You know what your address is? The House of Pain. All right, let's keep going because I'm really all fired up here. Tuesday, we begin the part of earnings. Yeah, I'm fired. You're like having a gin and tonic. I'm like working. Uh, when you get to the part of earnings season, I loathe where so many companies report e- each day that it's impossible to keep track of them. And I do my best. I always feel like what they're doing is trying to give me a... First, there's... <gasps> General Electric, that's right, which will probably try to uh, show us why we would want to be in its energy division. That's the next spinoff after healthcare. Uh, but all we really want is the booming aerospace business. All in good time. Troublesome. We have 3M. My dad used to rep 3M, even the 3M book games. Wow. They sold a lot of scotch tape in his time. Uh, and now, though, 3M, it doesn't look like that at all. It's a stock that's truly going down the litigation rabbit hole. Feels like they've got nothing to really offset the lawsuit morass caused by groundwater pollution and their earplugs that cause hearing problems for combat fetchers. The best thing I can say about 3M now is that it yields nearly 5%, but that's not enough reward. It doesn't compensate you given the level of litigation risks. Next, we got one that I think is just a true bargain. This is J&J. Chapel Trust owns it. If it reports anything good on Tuesday, I bet the stock will fly. Remember, J&J is splitting off its consumer products business, so the remaining company, which is uh, farm and medical devices, can shine. I think this $168 stock, I'm saying it right here, right now, could be worth 200 bucks. Don't be dissuaded that it acted so badly this week. Look, we had a gigantic rotation out of healthcare, which J&J's position number one, and then the tech. Now, here's one. We have Union Pacific as well. And that's going to put on a clinic on the state of American commerce. And then after the close, we learn whether those layoffs Microsoft announced this week are grounded in disappointment or prudence. Also, after the close, we know the Fed wants to see real devastation in housing before it stops raising interest rates. They want much lower prices, okay? Will giant home builder D.R. Horton play ball with that thesis? We're going to find out. They're going to tell us straight. Believe me, if they say that housing went up another 20%, you're not going to get a quarter point, quarter point. You're going to get a full point over the course of the year. Wednesday, we might get Boeing. Well, get this. I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up. It might have its first good. I'm not kidding. I mean, like, I know probably people thinking, like, I'm looking at my executive producer. She thinks I'm joking. I'm not. I think we can get Boeing's first good quarter in ages. Stop laughing. I think we'll hear about orders galore, including from uh, China. The stock's certainly trading like there's a good quarter ahead. I'm fanatical about the railroads. All aboard. And that also includes Norfolk Southern. Remember, we want to rely more on private sector facts and rely less on government statistics or fictions. And certainly from the talking heads of the Federal Reserve, who, like, I, you know, I think why you would want to be on the Federal Reserve is because you want to come on TV so that all your relatives see you. I can't think of another reason. Anybody have one? You in the back. What? It, uh, I thought your hand was up. 
Thank, uh, thank your lucky stars these officials are in their blackout period where they can't talk. My God, can you imagine if we had a blackout period 364 days a year, how easy our lives would be? After the close, we get results from the newly controversial IBM, which has been hit with some contradictory analyst reports this week. I like it going to the quarter because it's relatively defensive with a tremendous 4.7% yield. That's pretty good. Then there's no yielding. I have a service now, okay? These are companies you buy on growth, not on yield. And this is perhaps the most aggressive of the cloud plays. I expect them to tell a story of new contracts. Phenomenal growth. Phenomenal! But will anyone listen? I don't know. They sure didn't care last time. Between Adobe's fireside chat on Monday and ServiceNow's quarter on Wednesday, we'll find out if these beaten down enterprise software stocks can find some adherence this year. They sorely need them. Tesla! Oh, my. Tesla's conference call used to be the highlight of earnings season. Fantastic interplay, back and forth, some funny things. Uh, Just entertaining. But now it's nothing more than the ramblings of a great manufacturer who's being sued and bought some company he probably didn't want. And this time he might have to explain his card discounts. Plus, I'm sure the shareholder base isn't thrilled about the insane price that Musk did pay for Twitter, which has caused him to sell tons of shares in Tesla. Suboptimal. Next, we currently have a semiconductor glut of massive proportions. So who knows where we stand in the semiconductor cycle? How about a company like Lamb Research? Because they make the manufacturing equipment you need to produce chips. They always know. And by the way, Tim Archer, CEO, he always tells. Thursday. Wow, here we are already. That kicks off with Dow Chemical. Now, we know fellow, um, well, we just call it Dow now. We don't call it chemical. It's Dow, all right? Now, we know uh, fellow chemical traveler PPG soared today, up $7 or almost 6% when it didn't disappoint. You know what? That tells me this cohort, including Dow, with an almost 5% yield, has a really low bar. Seems like a buy to me. Um, it's, it's astonishing to me how so few people care about a $362 billion company that's in your wallet named MasterCard. Maybe you've heard of it, but this is an incredible repository of spending data. We'll run it, wait, by well-run company, too. I, it should have a strong forecast. We are from Southwest, symbol L-U-V, but it should be symbol H-A-T-E on Thursday. I want to know if management's heads were going to roll after that holiday season fiasco. This used to be one of the best at run airlines. Not anymore. After the close, we uh, find out how far away Intel might be from turning around their core business. Is the inventory glut of processors over? How about the newfound glut of chips that go into high-performance computing for the Internet? Even though Amazon's spending a fortune building that out. I sure hope hope we find out more. I want Intel to do better. Otherwise, this one can still hurt the whole market. Even as Intel's a lot less important than it used to be. Intel Intel outside. (laughs) Finally, Friday rolls around. And we get results from American Express. I'm a member since 1981. Many bears have turned on American Express. They think it looks like Discovery or Capital One. I don't don't carry that stuff in my wallet. You got that in your wallet? American Express is in my wallet. It's got far less credit exposure. To me, though, American Express is terrific. Life is too short play. Remember, that's the whole series we've been doing that no one's even focused on except for me. I think this one could surprise the upside. Um, ben Stoto has helped me write it. I think he thinks about it, too. Life's too short. People are going out. It was my thesis for the week. You can Google it. Chevron, the first of the mighty oils. And I bet it produces a decent set of numbers. Can I go crazy about the stock up here? No, but if oil spikes above the 90s, you bet I will. The packaged goods companies have been lost in the shuffle slash wilderness because there's a sense that we might not need to play defense if the Fed doesn't tighten as much as previously expected. 
So we hear from lowly worm Colgate Friday, but I wouldn't want to go with that one regardless. I prefer fellow dividend aristocrat Procter & Gamble after the rotation of the group. Remember, the essence of good money, ma- money management is diversification. So you need some exposure to this industry. And Procter's the best of the best. It's why Mike Chapel Trust is building a nice position in the Cincinnati Giant. Here's the bottom line. It's a pivotal week. First of three. Be on your toes. Listen to the calls. Don't take any action unless you're certain. It's very hard to be certain about anything that's just reported. That's me being on my toes with my $79 rock ports that look like $200 shoes. All right, let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Hey, Jim. So in an effort to Trey, become more up? diversified, I've been shifting into alternative assets lately, specifically vintage Pokemon cards. And I wanted to see if you think eBay could capitalize should this become a market trend. Well, I think you might be early on the vintage Pokemon cards. I'm just saying, one man's opinion. I don't know. I'm looking around. People think you might be early. Uh, I think eBay's okay. It's kind of a bit of dud. It's very inexpensive. But the problem is, it's been inexpensive for for years. Um, Have you thought about, I don't know, like maybe uh, like Matisse's or something? Those are still popular. That Cezanne, he's good. And Jackson Pollock, I'm a saver of those things. Anyway, it's a pivotal week. Andy Warhol, too. This is Campbell's two kids. Don't take, Malin shot red. Don't take any action unless you're certain. And remember, it's very hard to be certain about anything that's reported instantly. I'm going to tonight. We're continuing our series in the post-COVID rebound by taking a closer look at the e-commerce space to see how it held up in the reopen world. Then Netflix soared today after earnings. But there's one thing that's getting everyone got wrong about the darn thing. And I'm going to reveal it, so you better stay tuned. And Huntington Bank shares reported top and bottom line beat earlier today. It was not based on Bitcoin. So what was behind the quarter strength then? I'm checking in with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
Since COVID, the world's going back to normal. But that's not totally true for the economy or the stock market. Lots of things have changed. That's why I've spent all week trying to figure out which of these changes are temporary and which are permanent. Like I've said before, I think office space may, may be down and out, maybe for a generation. Video games should be able to come back in a year or two. But what about the most iconic group of COVID winners, uh, turned post-COVID losers, that is, the e-commerce plays. Their businesses boomed during the height of the pandemic, and their stocks soared to the stratosphere. But once we could shop in person again, they started coming back to earth. Then the Fed declared war on inflation, then the whole group collapsed. The question is, has e-commerce been permanently hobbled in a post-pandemic world, or can the group get back on its feet in the not-too-distant future? I think this is temporary, although it's, uh, you know, it's still way too early to buy many of these stocks. We know the top dogs in the space, though, uh, like Amazon, Shopify. They made huge bets that online shopping would keep growing like crazy, even when we got over COVID. Turns out, well, they were very wrong. And now they desperately need to cut costs. Something stuck with me when Shopify admitted this last summer, though. They acknowledged that the permanent step up in e-commerce was an illusion. But they also said this remains a secular growth industry. It's just that back then, you know, they just to back down to where it would have been uh, if the pandemic never occurred. I'm going to show you this. Fast forward to today, with the benefit of holiday shopping statistics, it's clear Shopify was right. According to data from Adobe Analytics, online sales during the holiday season were up just a paltry 3.5% year over year to a new record of roughly what, 2. Uh, 212 billion. MasterCard said that e-commerce accounted for 21.6% of retail sales over the holiday, which is up slightly from 2021 and 2020. If you believe these numbers, the category hasn't lost much ground. But look at this. See, this is what's called a reversion to the mean. It went up there, and then it's right back as if that didn't even happen. But it's still clear that the trend line is positive. It just wasn't that positive, and they spent too much money right there. Okay? This probably shouldn't come as a surprise, as the rise of e-commerce has been an almost nonstop story for well over a decade. We just saw a stunning level of growth in 2020 when you couldn't shop in person if you wanted to. And too many of these companies assume that the level of growth will continue once COVID went away. Once again, this is when they spent all the money. This is what I'm most upset about when it comes to Amazon. I know they spent all this money right here, and they haven't taken care of it and dropped those. Well, they haven't made the big head cuts that I've been expecting. Uh, e-commerce went back to normal, but for this group, normal's pretty good. Problem is, this is one of the most hated industries in the market last year, and you have to really be selective to find anything investable here. Now, back in December, we highlighted five that were already making comebacks, and that's Etsy, which I think is terrific, Shopify, Pinterest, Mercado Libre, now we're going to South America, and Chewy. Etsy's the online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods. They haven't skipped a beat. Shopify's the e-commerce enabler that helps small and medium-sized businesses build up a powerful digital presence. Mercado Libre is the Amazon of South America. Chewy's the digital pet food retailer, and Pinterest is the online image board play that's transitioning from an ad-driven social network into more of a commerce-driven story. Since then, Pinterest and Mercado Libre have roared, while Etsy and Chewy have come in a bit, with Shopify roughly flat. Now, I still like all five, though, because they're focused on profitable growth. Um, if you had to ask me what my favorite would be at this very moment, it is still Etsy. 
just because I like the fact that they picked up a lot of new people and did not lose them. Next, while many retailers are struggling here, there are also some higher quality ones that also happen to have terrific online operations. Take Ulta Beauty. Got a new um, something on my Ulta Beauty app. A new uh, iteration came out today. Um, it briefly broke up above, uh, broke out above five hundred dollars for the first time over this week before pulling back a few bucks. It's been hated every dollar of the way, but that's by people, particularly hedge fund managers, who have not visited their excellent stores or used their app. Lululemon also fits the bill, even though the stock did get hammered after they reported last month because the guidance was discouraging. That's the kind of stock that does it'll get cheaper on the way down. Now Lulu's come down from 386 at its December highs to 312. At 312, I'm a believer. Nike's got an excellent direct-to-consumer business, just phenomenal online capabilities. More importantly, they delivered a magnificent quarter the week before Christmas. A huge top and bottom might beat, and you've got to believe it's going to get even better now that China's reopened, because they have gigantic Chinese exposure. They even have a good deal with the, with the Ministry of uh, Sports. Next, if you want an e-commerce play you can own, uh, that you can own right now, it's not top of mind, but I don't want you to forget about Prologis. This is a real estate investment trust that owns warehouses and provides logistical services. Here's a stock that fell from the 170s last April to below 100 at its lows in October because of widespread e-commerce worries and general recession fears. Since then, though, it's bounced back to 120. Oh, it's, it's nice. Wow, it really went down. 120. Even though many companies are cutting back on their online fulfillment real estate. Now, I think Prologis is fine because they own the best places, the last ones to be cut. Hey, 2.6% yield doesn't hurt either. Finally, we need to address the elephant in the room, which is Amazon. While the stock's gotten off to a pretty darn good start in 2023, it's up more than 15% year-to-date already after another strong day today, that rally came off a very low level. Plus, I can't shake the idea that Amazon simply hasn't done enough to cut costs. Management sure sounded like they got religion on profitability last spring when they admitted to all the overspending on e-commerce infrastructure. Since then, though, they haven't done that much. Earlier this month, Amazon announced over 18,000 layoffs, which sounds like a lot. But this is a company with well over a million employees. To, to them, this is a drop in the bucket. And they were mostly administrative, OK? At the same time, for years, Wall Street loved Amazon because of their non-retail businesses, Amazon Web Services for cloud infrastructure, and then their advertising division. Now, though, Wall Street dislikes both of these industries. Remember, advertising is weak, and there's a lot of competition in cloud. With companies increasingly cautious about tech spending, you've got to expect a meaningful slowdown at Amazon Web Services. And don't even get me started about their ad business. Online advertising is simply awful right now. Look, at the end of the day, I still adore Amazon, the company. I think the business can eventually make a big comeback, and there will come a point where the stock's a screaming buy. We do own it for our travel trust. We've owned it forever. But we definitely aren't there to a level where I can tell you you can just go buy it. Unless, unless management takes a scalpel or a cleaver to those headcount numbers. Put it all together. The e-commerce space hasn't been destroyed by post-COVID. Uh, in the post-COVID era, if you look at the underlying numbers, e-commerce continues to take share from brick-and-mortar retail, just not as fast as it did in 2020. It's just that the stocks got way too ahead of themselves and had to come back to earth last year. At this point, I think it's still too early to come back to Amazon. I'm holding it. not going to tell you to buy it. But the bottom line, there are still some e-commerce plays that I'm willing to get behind here. The ones that have truly prioritized profitability. And that's Etsy, Shopify, Pinterest, Ricardo Libre, and Chewy. And let's throw in ProLogis for good measure. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up. With big changes afoot, we make sense of Netflix's quarter. Stream with Kramer, next. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The stock of Netflix soared more than 8% today in response to a much better than expected quarter. But the thing everyone's getting wrong is what made this quarter so good. We keep hearing this reported as a subscriber growth story. And those numbers admittedly were phenomenal. But the real game changer wasn't subscriber. It was the fabulous bountiful cash flow. Because Netflix has made tremendous strides in its pivot to profitability. You know how much we care about that old man money. I didn't hear a soul say it, though, because the times were indeed great. But it's the truth. So let me do this. Let me walk you through this one, because the smallest of the fangs is the one that's broken away from the pack to become a true winner during this period. And these results show you how they pulled it off. First, let's go over the numbers. The headline results weren't anything special, with basically inline revenue and what looked at first glance to be an earnings shortfall. Company made 12 cents per share. Wall Street was only looking for, was looking for uh, 55 cents. 12 cents, 55. Holy cow. But there's an explanation for that. Netflix took a 36 cent per share cash charge during the quarter for something really boring related to foreign exchange remeasurement of their euro denominated debt. It was a one off accounting thing, but it fooled a lot of people initially. What really matters are the underlying operating profits. And here, Netflix made $550 million when the analysts were only expecting $422 million, much better than expected. On top of that, the company generated four. $144 million in operating cash flow, along with $332 million in free cash flow, FCF. In some ways, that's a cleaner measure of profitability than the actual earnings. Those positive cash flow numbers were huge because Wall Street expected them to become in negative. Instead of burning cash, though, Netflix has become, yes, a cash machine. Of course, what everyone focused on were the subscriber numbers. Netflix had 7.66 million paid new subscriber additions, more than 3 million higher than what the analysts were looking for, let alone what Netflix itself was forecasting. They use a very traditional method of just kind of trendline forecast. In the letter to shareholders, management said this incredible number was, quote, driven primarily by the success of our Q4 content slate, end quote. And boy, anyone who watched a lot knows that that's absolutely true. Hey, by the way, it's precisely why I've been recommending Netflix for months now. During the pandemic, Hollywood struggled to produce new programming. It was just too hard to film. 
That hasn't been the case now for a year, and we're finally seeing the big-time payoff. Wednesday, their Adams Family uh, f- uh, spinoff, I, you know, I didn't watch it, but my uh, Ben Stoto, my research director, I mean, he was driven by this thing. It was their third most popular series ever. Harry and Meghan was their second most popular documentary series. Class Onion was their fourth most popular film. Troll, a Norwegian monster movie, was their most popular non-English film ever. People like titles now. I don't know. We also uh, know that their series on Jeffrey Dahmer was a huge hit, but management included didn't want to emphasize the, the cannibal show. As for Netflix's first quarter forecast, I call it conservative. The revenue forecast is a little better than expected, but their operating income and earnings numbers were both below what Wall Street was anticipating. Management also said they expect modestly positive uh, paid subscriber gains, though, uh, although they're not going to disclose the specific number anymore because the launch of the ad-supported business makes it much less illuminating. It's not what we would say at law school dispositive to the numbers. But while the first quarter numbers weren't great, their full-year forecast for 2023 was nothing short of stunning. All aboard! Let me give you the key line. Quote, we expect constant currency revenue growth to accelerate over the course of the year, end quote. That's huge, especially since Netflix has, has seen its revenue growth decline for seven straight quarters, from 24% in the first quarter of 2021 to less than 2% in the the, uh, quarter they reported last night. No wonder the stock fell so much, right? From Wall Street's perspective, accelerating revenue growth, or ARG, as we call it on Mad Money, is one of the most beautiful phrases in the English language. Remember, though, this is a market that cares about profits above all else, and Netflix finally gets it. Listen to this, quote, Now that we are a decade into our original programming initiative and have successfully scaled it, we are past the most cash-intensive phase of this build-out, end quote. Sounds good. Then they go on, quote, We believe we will now be generating sustained, positive, annual free cash flow going forward, end quote. Huge. Excluding the uh, impact of currency fluctuations, Netflix thinks it can generate at least $3 billion in free cash flow this year. The analysts were only looking for $2.46 billion. That's a major step up. So while those 7.66 million new subscribers are very impressive, the single most important part of this story for me is now is the fact that Netflix is now throwing off tons of cash, and we're only going to see more of it in the near future. They can, they can build all the different... They can create any amount of programming now that they have this free cash flow. Last night, we saw a lot of headlines saying that Netflix missed earnings expectations, but the stock traded up because the subscriber numbers were so strong. I disagree with that analysis. Netflix no longer lives and dies by subscriber growth. In fact, in this market, almost nothing trades on subscriber growth. Wall Street now puts profitability above all. That's been the case ever since the Fed declared war on inflation. I don't know why these analysts didn't see that. The most meaningful upside surprise from Netflix was the incredible cash flow and the expectation those numbers will keep improving this year. Make no mistake, 2023 should be a phenomenal year for these guys. Just as Netflix finally has a terrific slate of new programming again, their competitors are being pressured to cut costs in order to deliver profitable growth. That's true for Disney Plus or HBO Max or Paramount Plus. The last CEO of Disney was just fired for losing too much money on streaming. So the competition is about to get a lot less furious, which means Netflix can spend less, too. Now, there are some other important announcements last night that some people might find disturbing. I'm fine with them. Co-founder Reed Hastings is transitioning to executive chairman, passing on his co-CEO role to Greg Peters, a longtime Netflix veteran who most recently served as the chief operating officer. The excellent Ted Sarando stays on as the other co-CEO. What else? We learned that the launch of Netflix ad-supported tier is mostly complete, and now they're ready for a big crackdown on password sharing. The People are going to take this. 
I know it. The new co-CEO, Greg Peters, said they don't expect this move to be popular. And there might be some elevated churn, in other words, people leaving. But long term, it'll force people who are freeloading to finally set up their own accounts. But here's the bottom line. All day we heard Netflix caught fire because they reported a monster subscriber growth number thanks to its excellent slate of content in the fourth quarter. And while that certainly did happen, I think the real driver here is different. After years of investing heavily to grow the business, Netflix is finally throwing off massive amounts of free of cash flow and free cash flow. And those numbers are set to grow dramatically in 2023. And the bears and short sellers told you that could never happen. In a market that's obsessed with cash flow and profitability, it's a game changer for Netflix. And it's why I bet the stock can keep running. We need to go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Yeah, Jim, I've got a stinker of a stock here. I bought it at about 175. It's trading at about 77 now. Uh, buy, sell, or hold on PayPal. I think uh, you know, we took a we took a loss on it, a little bit higher from here, uh, for the Chapel Trust. It was one of my more upsetting losses that I've taken in my career. But I think down here at 79, I'm, not, I'm reluctant to tell you to sell it. But if it goes back to 90, I will tell you to sell it. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Jimmy Chill, a big booyah Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, my go Birds. My question is on uh, Salesforce. I've been looking for an entry point, and I wondered if this might be a good entry point for me to get in. Yes, I think it is. You got a bunch of activists in there trying to press things up. You've got the dollar come down. That's going to help Mark Benioff. And you still have a great firm with a lot of great products that people are overlooking. And by the way, this so-called churn and turnover is worried about, hey, not everybody left on their own abolition. I think the real driver of Netflix's stock is its focus on cash flow, not subscriptions. It's a game changer for Netflix, and it's why I bet the stock can keep running. Oh, man, so much more mad money ahead. With the regional banks struggling this week, could Huntington Bank shares, H-Band, be the one for your portfolio that could buck the trend? I'm getting the latest from the company's top graphs. Then, we're beginning to see some positive step signs out of the tech cohort. So what will it take to get Wall Street to embrace the changing tide? Maybe it's the end of the crimson tide. I'll give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We got some great numbers from the big money center banks. But what about the smaller regionals? Take the Columbus, Ohio-based Huntington Bank shares, a solid, well-run institution, bountiful 4.4% dividend yield. This morning, Huntington reported a small beat, bottom line beat. But you know what? The market didn't seem to know what to do with the darn thing, and the stock closed up less than 1%. You know what? I think we got to take a closer look. So let's check in with Steve Steinhardt. He's the chairman and CEO of Huntington Bank shares. Learn more about the quarter and what to expect going forward. Mr. Steinhardt, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, great to be with you again. Thank you. All right. So I got to tell you something, Steve. I thought this was just a really good quarter. You know, no loan losses to speak of, making a lot of money for people. So explain to me uh, the, the way I think a lot of people are saying in re- regional bank, why don't they go up on really good news? Because it is, I know you got the billion dollar buyback. It is a little disconcerting to me that the stock did not pop on what I thought was an excellent quarter. Yeah, we are uh, disappointed as well. We thought it should as well. This was a record year for us in terms of net income and a great fourth quarter, a record fourth quarter. Credit's in terrific shape. I think there's an overhang, Jim, uh, that the re- we and the regionals are facing in terms of uncertain economic outcomes, and some of this is headlines out of Davos, et cetera. But what bothers me the most about that view, frankly, sir, is, is that 
you're in what I guess we would call in New York the heartland, where people don't seem to walk away from deals. It's not buy now, pay later, where they don't pay at all. Your loan losses are built. I mean, your autos. I mean, your auto. I mean, a lot of people are getting out of that auto business. You know how to lend to autos. So, I mean, can you explain to me why rates could go up so much and it hasn't seemed to stop borrowers at all from your from uh, getting a loan from Huntington? Well, there's this ethic of paying it back, and uh, and we benefit from that, obviously. But the economy here in the Midwest is relatively healthy. You know, great. Great manufacturing base, more manufacturing jobs, a full recovery since the, the pandemic in terms of lost, lost jobs, and a lot of industry moving in. So, uh, you know, this uh, traditional Rust Belt uh, uh, term is, is, has faded, and there's a new economy emerging quickly here. The Intel announcement alone uh, late, uh, early this, this past year is a, is a game changer for us here in central Ohio. Now, let's talk about that, because all over the country, there is a shortage, we're told, of engineers. Are there enough people coming out of your great uh, universities in Ohio that you can handle the, the, uh, what I think is going to be an amazing need for engineers? Well, you have about 32 colleges and universities in and around central Ohio alone, Ohio State being very significant, huge engineering school. So the answer is yes. And you have adjacent schools with just great, out, uh, great output. Uh, uh, Purdue uh, in Indiana and... and uh, Coming East, Carnegie Mellon, uh, uh, Cleveland. I mean, you have just fabulous engineering schools throughout the circumference of, of uh, central Ohio. Now, you also have a, a, an outstanding reputation when it comes to small business and small business lending. I congratulate you for, for just being uh, really lauded for probably being the number one banker in the country for it. What do you hear from the small business people? Well, there's there's clear concern about the uncertainty. There's on the margin. There's deferrals of, of decision making in terms of future investment. This is their lifeblood, their businesses, and so they're being cautious right now. And the headlines are su- supporting that. So we think the small businesses are generally in good shape. They're 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 adjusting to uh, whatever the economy uh, uh, dictates, and I think they're going to be able to get through this in relatively good shape. Well, as a small business person who's owned a lot of different uh, properties, including hotels and restaurants, I have to believe I know I would be buying up whatever I could around these different business sites, uh, particularly the Intel property, because it's not going to be Intel. It's going to be everybody. Are people going to Huntington and saying, listen, I want to take advantage of this opportunity. I want to get some land or get some buildings and really be in shape for when all these projects really kick in? Okay, yes, they are. We have lead market share here. We we, we do a lot of business here, and most of what happens we have some insight on. Um, and we've been here for more than a century and a half, so we have deep multi-generational relationships. So, this will be uh, a dividend for us for years and years to come, Jim. Well, speaking of the dividend, I mean, it, you do have a lot of capital. It, it, you, I know it's slow and steady wins the race, and I know that you guys are so prudent. But it, when you see the stock not go up on a great quarter like this, do you start thinking that maybe next year is the year where you're really going to have to bump it as much as the regulators let you? Well, we, ha- we announced the buyback of a billion dollars over the next two years. So that's a significant uh, uh, amount of capital return. We've got a peer leading dividend yield today. So there's, a, there's no reason uh, to think that we're, we're not going to be uh, trading at a, at, a, at a multiple of where we are over time. We just have to perform. All right, and just one last question. You're a, a level-headed, steady business person. Has anyone ever come to you at, uh, at your bank and say, listen, would you please let us uh, deposit Bitcoin? 
I'm sure that's occurred. I'm not aware of it. And we, we've, we've not done anything proactively to position ourselves for that. And, and wouldn't you as a prudent person suggest that maybe they go elsewhere if they want to do something with it? Uh, we have in the past, I'm sure, because we don't take it um, uh, today as a custodian or otherwise. And, and when asked personally, I've been over the years suggesting there probably are safer investments much safer investments. Well, I'm glad you said that. I think there are people who always feel like they want to be opportunistic, uh, get in on something that matters. And yet I think the only way it matters is for fear and for uh, the possibility that one day you wake up and there's nothing in your bank account. So Steve Stein, our president, chairman, and CEO of Huntington Bank Shares, H-Band. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to see you, Jim. Thank Have you. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Everybody's back there for break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time! It's time to be lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski guy, time for the light round, Kramer. Let's start with. Josh in South Carolina. Josh! Hey, man. I uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about AT&T uh, post, or pre-earnings. Um, well, I'll tell you, AT&T, I've got a phrase for AT&T, and I really like it. It's not as bad as it used to be. Some people feel that's damning with faint praise. I think it's high praise for them. I'm going right now to John in Massachusetts. John! Hi, Jim. It's an honor to speak with you. See uh, listen, right back to you, John. Well, thank you very much. I was supposed to speak yep. to you yesterday, but uh, due to an error on my part, I take full responsibility on deferred for no today. Problem. Your producer, no very gracious, took full responsibility. He's gracious, uh, which I'm not surprised about because he was. Well, that's the way we teach him. You know, Regina Gilgan, well, the executive producer, whose birthday it is today. Everybody really knows. Go ahead, go ahead. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Listen, I'm calling about plug power. Now, you know that, that it's uh, basically hydrogen fuel cells, it's green energy, it's a viable business. Yeah, but you know what's uh, also? It's losses. And Andy Marsh has promised us uh, profitability for a very long time. I am beginning to get my patience. My bountiful patience is beginning to get tried. So I'm going to have to say stay away. Let's go to Chris in Kansas. Chris. Jim, thank you for your time. Shout out to you and your staff for allowing myself and others simple understanding of investing in these wild and crazy times. My stock in question, which I've held since 2020, is a competitive one of these club holdings to scope. These past few months, I followed your advice by picking stocks that make and sell stuff, all while holding off on the tech sector. You recently had an episode with peg ratios I noticed on your board. The stock I recommend, I'm sorry, this is a stock you should recommend. Right. The, is. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, it's a Juniper Networks. <laughs> oh, I like Juniper. They're doing a lot. That's right. I, it's terrific. You know, when I screamed just now. My Apple Watch said that you please provide some detail. I think I I fell. I I, I did not fall. I, I guess it, when you get really excited, your watch isn't happy. Sorry, Siri. Okay, let's go to Rick in Pennsylvania. Rick. Hey, what's up, Jim? How's it going? I am doing well because I'm from the eastern part of the state. I don't know about you, and I'm ready for a big game. What's happening? Oh, yeah, I've seen that Eagles ring you had on earlier. Oh, yeah. 
But uh, anyway, uh, I picked up some Carvana whenever it dropped down to like 370, so I got a good deal on it. But I'm gonna dump it while it's getting squeezed right now. Um, now Siri, about what do you think of Carvana? I, I know you hate Carvana, but um, I was gonna I dump do. it into a car, K-A-R. No, I like car. I think car is very, very good. Now, here's the problem, just so you know. If Carvana does have a real problem, it's going to hurt car, I think, because there'll be too many cars out there. But be, uh, be care. It's spelled K-A-R. All right. Let's go to Dwight in Kansas. Dwight. Yeah. Hey, Jim. Let's make some money. What do you think of uh, Medtronic? What, did you say let's lose some money? Because I'm in, I want to make some money. I, I might have heard wrong. We are not going to make money in Medtronic. It's very low, but it deserves, it deserves to be low. They've missed a lot of cycles. I am unimpressed with Medtronic. Unimpressed. Let's go to Lloyd in North Carolina. Lloyd. A big booyah from Carolina, Jim. Good to be back, Lloyd. Um, got a stock. Uh, bought a little bit of Devon Energy, ZVN. Oh man, keep buying! That dividend is fantastic. They're giving me the they're give me this thing, but I don't know. I guess I have to because it's it's, it's Friday and I'm done. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, be careful what you wish for. How the tech turnaround, powered by layoffs, is working. Stick with Kramer. We can't wish for something, then throw a temper tantrum then we, when we get it. But that's how I feel about what's going on in tech. Let me give you some examples. When Meta Platforms announced its layoffs, the stock took off, ultimately going from, not, from $94 to $139. That's a huge win, even as the company's growth is slowing down. Since Salesforce announced its layoffs earlier this month, its stock has soared from under 135 to 151, including nearly five points today, despite a vicious research downgrade, claiming it no longer deserves this growth mantle. Microsoft initially saw its stock halted when it announced its layoffs and then went down. But now it's roaring. It was up eight points in one session. And today, after Alphabet's announcement, its stock roared. I mean, just incredible. Five points, major breakout. My first thought when I saw these layoffs was, well, wait a second. We want tech because of growth, not because of spending discipline. But maybe that's plain wrong. Maybe that reaction is incorrect. Maybe what matters is that these richly valued growth companies that have been undisciplined for so long are finally cutting down on the bloat allowing them to give you both sales and better earnings numbers at a more reasonable price, which is what we've been looking for. We can't ask for tech companies to be more frugal and then say, nope, they're part of a class of stock that's from yesteryear, and it doesn't matter what they do, they simply can't be owned. That's not right. It's hard to bounce between the two classes of stock in this market, the profit techs on one side and the measured industrials, financials, and healthcare on the other side. But our mantra in this market is to buy companies that make things or do stuff out of profit, return those profits to shareholders, and have stocks that sell at reasonable prices. So we have to keep an open mind, even if that mantra now includes some tech stocks, a group that's been shunned for over a year. These layoffs are for real, by the way. Maybe you think they aren't big enough. Some aren't. 
but they represent a recognition that their businesses are being hurt by the slowdown. And at the same time, they're not they're not going to be lauded for all their good work if they keep spending like drunken sailors. The dismissed workers have mostly been non-revenue generating employees. Some are from acquisitions that haven't been rationalized yet. We never want to root for people losing their jobs. But Wall Street's a heartless place, and these layoffs will produce higher earnings per share, which is really what a, uh, that's what people want from a stock. And higher earnings will make all the stocks cheaper than they currently look. Again, that fits my mantra. For some investors, these newly cost-conscious tech names have become newfound defensives. With the traditional defenses, the drugs say, being thrown out. These companies are curious hybrids, not easily classified, other than when they got disciplined and their stocks go higher. Now, because of these rapid-fire changes, I'm more comfortable embracing some of these instead of shunning them. Because you simply can't say, I'm concerned there's no discipline here, and then uh, complain when they finally get disciplined. I've been saying that Alphabet hired 12,500 people last year whom they did not need when things were beginning to turn down. It bothered me. Why didn't they do something about it? So that today they did. How could I not applaud? <laughs> Apple's now passing my test. It can stay in my charitable trust portfolio. So can many of these others. The only outlier that I'm worried about is Amazon. They look at 18,000 people, but they're still ridiculously overstaffed from the time of the pandemic. If Amazon did a real layoff with big numbers, that stock would roar. So there's a path, a roadmap to get us back where we want to be. And some of these tech companies are following it. It's working. Don't overthink it. Keep it simple. And I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here, Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.